Father in heaven, uh, we are people living in a time and in a place where there is just so much uh, cacophony right now, so many voices, uh, so many opinions, uh, counter-opinions, information, counter-information. It, Lord, it, it is dizzying in a lot of ways and, and very wearying, but above all of the cacophony and breaking through all of it is your communication, your revelation, your word. And we are so thankful that today we have the freedom now to open your word and to learn of you together, to hear from you, to be challenged and changed and transformed in this time that we have in the word. And we pray, Lord, your power. We pray your blessing. Uh, we pray that your spirit would come and perhaps nudge us in a place in our lives where we've been resistant or challenge us to move along the path of glory and be transformed into the image of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified, that we would be changed and benefited now from this time in the word. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word. Amen. God had shown up in Jonah's life. God had issued a clear and very concise call on Jonah's life. And immediately on the heels of that call, we have the words in the text, but Jonah, verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But Jonah. But Jonah went through the ticket booth. But Jonah proceeded through the turnstile with his bags in hand. But Jonah boarded the vessel. But Jonah purposely headed in the opposite direction from Nineveh where God had called him to go. But Jonah. Well, isn't it interesting as verse 4 begins, that we have the words, but the Lord. See, Jonah made his little counter move, we could call it, after God had called him. That was the but Jonah moment. But now God will answer Jonah's counter. God will answer, answer with his own counter. But the Lord. See, the Lord will always remain a step ahead of us. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, there are several things here for our close consideration and meditation this morning. First of all, look at this verse. Notice how explicit this statement is that God is the active agent who sends this storm on the water. It was the Lord who hurled a great wind on the sea. Often when a storm arrives in our own lives, we might use the terminology of God allowing the storm to come. 
But this text is stronger than that. It's not merely that God allowed this storm. It's that God caused it. God brought it. God hurled it. And why? Well, it's simply because God refuses to walk away from his disobedient prophet. God refuses to walk away from the mission that God had called Jonah to do. The word hurled in our verse is used elsewhere in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, to describe a person who forcefully throws a javelin. For example, the same Hebrew word is used in 1 Samuel 18.11, where we might remember Saul hurled his spear at David, doing what? Trying to pin David to the wall. Saul was aiming at his target, who was David, and Saul forcefully hurled his weapon at his target, at David. Well, God here hurls his wind, and God's target with his wind is Jonah. Proverbs 30 verse 4 says that God gathers the winds in his fists. Gathers the winds in his fists. That's our God. Psalm 119 verse 91 says that all things, all things, which would include wind, are God's servants. All things are God's servants, including wind. Psalm 107.25 tells us that God raises and commands stormy wind. God hurls his great wind on this sea because Jonah is now on this sea in a boat. The storm, you see, is designed for Jonah. But God here isn't trying to kill Jonah, like Saul was trying to kill David when he hurled his spear at David. God isn't trying to kill Jonah. Instead, God, in designing, in bringing this storm, is doing what? He's bringing Jonah to his senses. God, in bringing this storm, is messaging Jonah in all caps. God is intervening in Jonah's life. God is awakening Jonah. He is bringing the prodigal back. Friends, the storms that God causes in our lives, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, they have fruitful, redemptive effects. God is after Jonah here. God is after you and I. He's after us. Now notice also in our verse that word great. The word great describes the wind. A great wind. We've already seen that, seen that same word great in the story back in verse 2 when God wanted Jonah to go to the great city called Nineveh. But now, in the words of Tim Keller here, he says, if Jonah refuses to go into a great city, 
he will go into a great storm. If, God, if Jonah refuses to go into a great city, he will go into a great storm. And the storm, we need to see, is indeed great. It is a fierce storm. It is frightening in its force and in, in its effect. I want you to feel the dread of this storm. Notice how the verse is crafted to emphasize the five-alarm nature of the storm. What we have in verse 4 is a purposeful repetition describing the storm in order to emphasize its sheer ferocity. So we learn first of this great wind upon the sea So already there, we picture the waves as they're building, and then we have, there was a mighty tempest on the sea, as if to emphasize the sheer force of this storm. In fact, the storm is so bad that as the verse says, the ship threatened to break up. Now, it's very interesting in the Hebrew text here The word that the ESV has chosen to translate as threatened, the ship threatened to break up, this is a word actually that has to do with planning, with calculating, thinking. The ship thought to break up or the ship calculated that it would break up. It's almost as if the ship itself is personified here. The ship was being battered so heavily by water and by wind that she thought she'd break up. She thought her planks would splinter apart. That's probably the idea here. Verse 5, at that moment, just picture it in your mind's eye, as the ship is floundering, threatening to disintegrate, The mariners were afraid. They were scared. Now get this, these guys were experienced sailors. These guys had been at sea probably countless times in this very vessel. They had navigated through all kinds of weather. If they are scared in this moment, then things are bad indeed. They hear what sounds like planks cracking and the gale force buffeting of the storm just won't abate. It continues. And in their fear, what do these sailors do? They do two things. First, they pray. The text says that each of these mariners, we don't know how many there were, but each of them cried out to his God. As that boat was rocking up and down and side to side in the storm, and as massive waves are pounding the sides of the boat, and as the wind is howling, they each pray to their respective gods to the gods of their individual nations, territories. The story will make it clear that these sailors are not praying to Yahweh, God of Israel. 
Instead, they're praying to other so-called gods who were affiliated with other territories. And we need to see this, that all their prayers to these gods in this moment have a grand total of zero effect on the raging sea. Why? Because it was Yahweh. It was Yahweh who was controlling the wind and the waves. The gods that these sailors cried out to were not Yahweh. And so these gods were impotent. They were powerless to change this situation. They were not in control of the wind and the waves. And so the mariners here, they are praying to their gods in futility. The second thing that the text tells us here is that these mariners hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Notice now that we have another instance of that same word, hurl. God hurled a great wind and made the sea rage in a terrific storm. Now the sailors pick up crates and they pick up tackle and they hurl all of it into the raging sea in a desperate effort to do what? To make the ship ride higher on the water and not get swamped. And every time they hurl an item into the sea, it hurts them in an economic sense. Whatever profit they would have made from the goods that were aboard the ship now splashes into the sea and sinks to the bottom. And they're doing it all in a desperate effort now to save themselves. Friends, have you noticed in the story how one person's sin has very negatively affected a whole bunch of people? One person's sin has very negatively affected a whole bunch of people. Jonah's disobedience to God has brought on a storm which in turn has brought on fearful foxhole prayers from the sailors, along with a loss of their livelihood now as they throw their goods overboard. As O. Palmer Robertson puts it, he says, quote, God had offered Jonah the privilege of blessing the whole populace of the great city of Nineveh, but he became a curse to a few unsuspecting sailors instead. And then Robertson says this, you will invariably bring trouble to the life of others as well as to your own life if you are walking contrary to the will of God. Close quote. Indeed, Jonah's sin is now causing tragic ripple effects, pardon the pun, ripple effects for the entire crew. These poor mariners, they've sent up prayers to their gods, they are hurling cargo into the sea, all in an effort to save themselves, but none of it is effective. 
All their efforts are futile. The storm continues unabated. And then, at the end of verse 5, we have another, but Jonah. But Jonah. Oh yeah, Jonah. Forgot about him. Where's he been this whole time? Jonah had gone down. Notice that. We said last week that there is this down theme in relation to Jonah himself. Now he goes down even further than he had been before. Down now into the inner part of the ship. Jonah had gone, we might say, below deck. And he was fast asleep. They're blissfully sawing logs. Jonah had been fast asleep spiritually as far as not getting on board with God in God's mission to Nineveh. Now Jonah is literally asleep at sea. Jonah is asleep below deck, asleep to what God is doing above deck where the sailors have been fighting for their lives. Jonah, he's just asleep to all sorts of stuff. Now, we might call Jonah an insider. Jonah was inside the family of faith. Jonah was an Israelite. He was a believer. And this believer named Jonah is asleep here. Notice This believer is asleep while above deck, a group of unbelievers who haven't met Yahweh yet, they are full of anxiety, they are frantic, they are without true hope as they are scrambling to save themselves. This believer named Jonah had purposed to withdraw himself as far away from those despicable Ninevites as he possibly could. And now here he is, withdrawn from the mariners, asleep by himself below deck, while the mariners without faith in the true God are almost drowning right above him. My friends, what a picture this is for us to consider. When God finds his church asleep, taking care only of itself, all ingrown, oblivious to the danger of those above deck, so to speak, then God will often send a storm to arouse his church, to awaken his church, to jolt us out of our complacency, to get us to arise from our slumber and share the gold of the gospel with those around us, those above deck. The storm at sea is continuing tenaciously 
despite the futile efforts of the mariners. The gale force winds, the raging waves continue to batter the boat. And now the captain of the vessel comes down the stairs, I think probably fairly quickly. He comes below deck, probably there. He's looking urgently for any other pieces of cargo that he can possibly throw overboard. The captain bursts in, he finds Jonah asleep, and he barks at Jonah. What do you mean, you sleeper? Sorry if that distorted the microphone a little bit. I'm getting wrapped up and excited here. What do you mean, O sleeper? Probably an even better translation here is what we have in the Good News Bible. What are you doing asleep? Or in the New American Standard Bible, how is it that you are sleeping? The captain is simply astonished here as he sees Jonah sawing logs. He's dumbfounded. How could Jonah be fast asleep in this very dire situation? And the captain commands Jonah. He says to Jonah, what does he say? He says, arise, call out to your God. Again, probably with some urgent haste in his voice. Arise, call out to your God. Now, this particular command from the mouth of the captain would especially cause Jonah to awaken fully from his sleep. This command from the captain would be like a pitcher of cold water thrown right on Jonah's face. Why? Because the two specific command words that the captain uses here, those words arise and call out. These are precisely the same words in the Hebrew text, precisely the same words that God had used back in verse 2 when God had called Jonah. God had said to Jonah, arise, call out against Nineveh. Now this Gentile captain bursts in and says to Jonah, arise, call out to your God. It's like God put those same two words in the mouth of the captain here, to do what? To shock Jonah out of his sleep. To let Jonah know that behind the words of the captain stood God himself. To let Jonah know that he had not, after all, escaped the presence of the Lord. Jeremiah 23, verse 24 can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Can a man go below deck on a ship bound in the opposite direction from where I sent this man? Can he escape me there? No, says the Lord. And then in the text he says, do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. God is speaking to Jonah here below deck 
in this disquieting sort of a way through the mouth of this Gentile captain. Arise, call out. Now notice also here, won't you, a simple fact that's quite tragic. Listen, and that is that it takes this unbelieving captain to call the believer, Jonah, to prayer. It takes an unbeliever to call a believer to prayer. Arise, call out to your God, the captain says. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us. Perhaps your God will look favorably on us. I don't know, perhaps he will in this horrific situation that we are in that we may not perish. Now those above deck who did not know Yahweh went to prayer all by themselves, didn't they? Their knee-jerk reaction in their fear was to send up prayers to gods who couldn't help them. But the only person on board who knows the true God has to be woken up and commanded to pray. You know, friends, sometimes in their desperation, lost people just wish the church would pray for them. Hey, hey you believe in God, right? Is that, uh, do I have that right? You believe in God? C could you pray for me? I just, I don't know where else to go. The captain commands Jonah to pray, but, but then guess what? What happens? There's no record in the text, at least at this particular stage in the story, there's no record in the text that Jonah actually went to prayer. At this point of the story, disobedient Jonah, his relationship with the Lord is such that he won't pray or he can't pray. And that little ship on the water, it continues to suffer the awful brunt of God's storm. Now this whole episode, this whole episode that we've walked through, and that's as far as we'll go in the text today, this whole episode that we've walked through together in these verses is repeated in another context with a different set of people in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is in a boat with his disciples. And just as a great wind had arisen on the sea in the story of Jonah, just, just as there had been a mighty tempest on the sea, so there is what Mark 4.37 calls a great windstorm on the sea as, as Jesus and his disciples are afloat on the sea. So like Jonah and the mariners in our story of Jonah, now Jesus and his disciples find themselves in the midst of raging waters. And just as Jonah 1.4 had given us the ship's perspective, where it said that the ship thought to break apart, 
So Mark 4 includes details, interestingly, details about what was happening to the boat. It says that the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. And in Jonah 1.5, we saw that the mariners were afraid, weren't they? They were afraid in their situation. Similarly, in Mark 4.40, the disciples in the boat with Jesus are described there as being, Jesus describes them as being so afraid in their storm at sea. And just as Jonah had been fast asleep, During the windstorm, so Jesus is fast asleep in his. Mark 4.38 says that Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion as the storm rages. And further, Jonah had been awakened by the captain who had commanded Jonah to pray, the captain said to Jonah, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And the disciples awaken Jesus in Mark 4 and they say to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It's very obvious then, friends, that the gospel writer Mark has crafted his account of the storm with Jonah in mind, why? Because Mark's aim is to showcase for us the massive difference between Jonah the prophet and Jesus the Lord. Mark wants to show us that Jesus is so much greater than Jonah. So much better. Because what happens? Well, where Jonah had been commanded by an unbeliever to pray, but then had failed to pray in that instance because his relationship with God was on the rocks, with the result that the sea just kept raging away, Jesus, in his boat, wakes up But notice, instead of praying to God to rescue him and the disciples in the storm, what does Jesus do? Jesus acts as God immediately and decisively and effectively. Without praying, Jesus rebukes the wind who does that rebukes the wind and speaks to the sea, saying, imagine him standing in the boat there, peace, be still. And Mark 4.39 reports that the wind ceased and there was a great calm. The difference between the situation of the mariners in Jonah and the disciples in Mark 4 was that the disciples had God in the flesh in their boat, while the mariners in the book of Jonah only had a disobedient, 
prayerless prophet in their boat. Well, my believing friend, this week I want you to reflect and remember who it is that's with you in your boat. Has God brought a storm into your life? And are you scared in your storm? And have you tried everything to rescue yourself, throwing your cargo overboard, so to speak, but nothing has worked? Here's my counsel to you. Arise. Call out to your God. Call out to Jesus, the Lord of the storm. The storm has come, why? To make you run to Jesus Christ and depend on Jesus Christ and trust Jesus Christ and throw yourself on the bosom of Jesus Christ. As Keller has pointed out, Jesus is the one, Jesus is the one, remember this, who has entered the ultimate storm, the storm of God's wrath on human sin. He willingly entered that storm. Jesus took upon himself our sin and he absorbed God's wrath on our sin on his cross as our substitute so that we could be forgiven and have life eternal. Surely, surely this God who refused to let you perish eternally, who weathered the ultimate storm on your behalf, surely this God will bring you through the smaller storm that you currently face, no matter what it is. So trust him today. Trust him. He is good. Arise and call out to your God. And let's do that now. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that as we read your word and as we study your word together and hear your word preached, that Lord, we see ourselves in that boat at sea. We see ourselves in the storm and we see you, sovereign God, as all-powerful, all-commanding, after us, not leaving us alone, refusing to leave us to our own devices, with us in the storm. You're going to bring us through the storm, Lord. You have given us eternal life. No matter what storms we face on this, on this planet, Lord, it's all working for a greater glory, which is to be with you eternally on the new earth. And we pray, hasten the day, Lord. But I pray, Lord, for each and every person listening that hope would be renewed, that faith would be refreshed, that an energy uh, to go on mission for you would be rekindled. And Father, that we would bring glory to your name as you continue to heal us, to transform us, to bring sustenance and nourishment to us in every way. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.